Amen. I don't think you can order a Coke, but at least let him do what he needs to do. Hallelujah. This morning, I want to speak to you on essential Christianity, and I want us to understand where we are as a church. We invite the ministry of the Holy Spirit to teach us. I have uh, done sermons in the past that speak on trends, trends in our society and trends on what we're facing as a church. Today, I want to share with you uh, what I believe is where the church needs to be, a trend as to where the church needs to go and learning what essential Christianity is, what we need to get rid of, what we need to maintain. How many of you know that sometimes when you make a move, you discover all the junk you collected and you have to purge? Uh, I think Western Christianity has collected a lot of junk along the way, and we've got to purge that out and keep what is essential. It says in uh, 1 Chronicles 12.32 that the tribe of Issachar could discern the times, and here's what's essential, and know what to do. All right, so we need to discern the times we're in, and we need to know what we need to do. Francis Schaeffer said this, ours is a post-Christian world in which Christianity, not only in the number of Christians, but in cultural emphasis and cultural result, is no longer the consensus or ethos of our society. And so that was actually written in 1984, 33 years ago, that he was declaring, and Francis Schaeffer being one who was a prophetic word to the body of Christ, saying, we're uh, past the Christian era. We are now in a post-Christian era. And we can see that effects, but many of the folks in the church aren't aware of the positioning that we're in, the, the place the church is in, and they're in a little bit of a, a fog to the understanding of what we're dealing with. I actually believe that we are uh, not in a post-Christian era, but we have transitioned within the last two, two and a half years into an anti-Christian era. And I think the church needs to wake up to that. This isn't just post-Christianity. We've moved into the realm of anti-Christianity. But that's all right. How many of you know that's all right? It's okay. That only defines Christianity better. It really does. How many of you know judgment starts in the house of the Lord? We've got to determine who's a real Christian and who's not. We've made Christianity a decision, a choice that uh, offers a good life and, uh, you know, friendships and a club to meet on certain days. Christianity is not that. Christianity is a way of life. It is a new life. It is a new identity. It is becoming a new creature. You must be born into Christianity through the Spirit of God. It's not something you participate in. It's something you become. And so with an anti-Christian sentiment, that is actually going to help define who the real Christians are and who are obedient followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what I want to share with you this morning, that there are three essential truths you need to come to understand. In an anti-Christian place and world that's becoming more and more anti-Christian, you need to understand one thing. Christianity will never cease. Christianity will never stop. You can't extinguish it. You can't put it off. This is nothing new in the realm of world history. Christianity in regions around the world and even in the then-known worldwide uh, societies have 
been try, it's, it's been tried to been extinguished and tried to be expelled. And how many of you know you cannot stop Christianity? We know that the Word of God is true, and we know that Christianity is going to fill the whole earth as Jesus comes and s- establishes His kingdom. So the anti-Christian sentiment is only going to sharpen the church, its view, its understanding of who we are, and really define true Christianity. So understand this. Don't worry. Don't get upset. Christianity is not going to stop. It will not cease. Secondly, the church will be restored. How do I know this? Because the Word of God says that Jesus is coming for a bride that is spotless without wrinkle or blemish. So this church is going to be purified, it's going to be strengthened, it's going to be united, and it's going to be powerful. If he started the church with a flame, he's going to end it with a bonfire. He's going to return to a glorious bride who is shining and glorious and brilliant. So anti-Christian activity is only going to sharpen the church and increase her power. Thirdly, Christ is coming. Jesus will return, all right? So he's going to finish this thing out. Jesus is coming. Christians are the most hopeful people there are. You can kill one of us and ten more will rise up. And we will love and give our lives unto the name of Jesus Christ to love all people so that we may win some to the kingdom. Amen? Amen. And so Christianity is not going anywhere. Many boast about it. Many boast that it's done, religion's over, science has won, and all that. Only science, all that science can do is continue to show the handiwork of God, continue to explain the brilliance and genius of how God has made everything, and we just rejoice in the next discovery they have. They make hypotheses that 10 years later always fall apart, and we just say, look at Jesus. The church isn't going anywhere. We're just being refined, and Jesus is coming soon. So, these things are what are going to get us through. And so there's three essential powers that we work with as the people of God in this day. In an anti-Christian sentiment, there are three powers that we need to understand are going to be effective and powerful. Number one is the truth. The truth isn't going away. The truth remains constant. The truth will always be true. People will redefine what is truth. People will try to understand that uh, and shift things up is down and down is not, but that is unsustainable. How many of you know that? Lies are unsustainable. They can only go for so long. Truth will always dominate and truth will always win. Truth has time on its side and truth is transcendent beyond time and will exist throughout all history and beyond history. So truth is uh, always going to win. Secondly, our witness, and that is the truth made alive in your life is powerful. And that's Jesus' plan. His truth in you will cover every corner of this planet. Here in this part of the city and wherever you live, you are a container of God's uh, triumphant and eternal truth. You hold it in you, and you're a container, and you witness it to wherever you go, and one by one, you will win some. You will win people to the Lord because His truth is on display by your witness. And then thirdly, there is a power within us. So uh, there are power struggles in the world always, right? Right? Who, who gets to win, his, whether it's democracy or communism, that's not what determines the kingdom of God. How many of you know that? Kingdoms rise, kingdoms fall. Rulers rise, rulers fall. 
good people rise, bad people rise, it doesn't matter. The power of God will always bring forth truth through the witnesses of his people. That's God's plan, and Christ will return to a glorious church. And so we're going to break these down, and we're going to talk about them. And I want you to understand, first of all, what truth is. Truth will always challenge cultural relativity. I mean, if you're a watcher of YouTube, I'm a big fan of YouTube. I am constantly watching debates, constantly reading opinions, constantly listening to critics. I want to know where the enemy stands. I mean, how do you win a battle if you don't know where the enemy is? I want to know what the arguments of the day are. I want to know what the cultural relativity is. I want to know what America thinks. I want to know where she stands. I want to know the opinions of these different things because they will never sustain past what is true. And I want to know how people argue, and I want to know how people bring in the answers, and I want to know and understand how people discuss these things, because we have to speak truth to a world out there that is influenced by popular culture. And if, if you're burying your head and you don't understand what's going on in popular culture, how are you going to bring truth into people's lives and help them come out of their blindness? And so, truth is with us. And I like what Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 24 and 25. He said this. He said, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of a grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. So what happens is that the word of truth, God's truth, God's word, God's demonstration will last forever. People flourish, people rise up, ideologies come up. This is how the devil runs the world. Different ideas, different concepts, people adopt them, people receive them, right? They come in fads, they move throughout time and in history, but the word of the Lord remains forever, like the best ideas of men and their concepts of government and, and concepts about uh, creation or evolution, their concepts of human identity, the concepts of gender, all these things that we look at and we see in the newspaper and in the headlines, they're like flowers, they have a season, they're going to fade. But what will remain? The Word of the Lord, truth. Truth will always remain. Truth will outshine any lie, it will remain. Now, what Peter says at the conclusion of this statement is that the word of the Lord remains forever, and he says this, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Peter says that the word of God is an imperishable seed. It will not fail. It will not uh, return what God had sent it to do. In Isaiah 55, he says that my, as, as the rains shower over the land and nourish the plants and they rise up, so my word is sent and it will accomplish the purpose for which it was sent and it will not return lifeless or void. This is an imperishable seed. You've been taught the truth. The truth has been preached to you, and you've received that truth, and that truth is imperishable. That truth will pull down every lie. That truth will extinguish and distinguish every lie and stronghold and break them apart. You have to understand you're a carrier of something eternal and powerful. It saved you, and now by you speaking it, it can save others. So there are arguments, there are critics, people ridicule us, people laugh at us, but the truth 
will remain. Hold fast. You need to understand that. You need to believe that. You need to be a disciple of what is true. Now, on the first slide, I I said essential Christianity, and I had a crown of thorns. The, the, The truth is thorny. It picks. It, it, it will get into people. How many of you know that when you got saved, you were irritated into salvation? It pricked you, didn't it? It called you a sinner. It told you your condition. And so like a prickly crown of thorns, the truth will continue to prick and irritate. And that's what the world doesn't like about Christianity. Keep it to yourself. But you Christians, truth cannot remain unto itself or will it die to itself. It is always alive, constant and forever. So if they say it's up but it's not up, they're going to be irritated by your presence. If they say this is right and this is the new norm, they're going to be irritated because the truth is just going to pick them and prick them and you're going to just say, I'm sorry, that is not true. And this is one of the biggest issues for Christianity today because the world is trying to reorient what is reality. They're trying to say that you can change your gender and your DNA identity. You can't. If you are born a male, you are a male. You can cut things off and you can sew things on. You can wear different things. But the truth is you will always be male or female. That's the truth. It pricks, it hurts, and it's, it's a problem. But that is reality. So don't ask me to change my understanding of reality for what you're going through. I will love you, respect you, you do what you want to do. As long as you're not harming someone else, you just, you know, go ahead and do what you want to do. But don't ask me to change the concept of what is true and real. And so that's the difference here. I'm not a hater. I believe in truth. And I have to speak truth. And so I must speak to what is true in nature and what is true by God. Now, We have to do something different, and I want to focus with the truth. In this day and age, we have got to get rid of the old and walk in the new. And I want to share with you just really quickly uh, the story of David and Goliath. You see, something happened on the battlefield that day. They were in a stalemate, Israel and the Philistines. And in that stalemate, they they had to come to a conclusion. So often in battles, they would send out one person to do the fight. Since the, so they don't, they don't have great carnage and lose both armies. So they decide. So Philistines send out Goliath, right? Great warrior that he is. Giant. Armor. He comes out ready to fight. He taunts. He ridicules. And he says, send someone out. No one in Israel was ready to fight Goliath because they knew in hand-to-hand combat they cannot beat him. Right? Too big, too strong, too fierce. And so they knew. So no one would volunteer except one who had a different idea. One who understood completely different the battle that was set before him. And this is where the church has got to shift. We can't be your grandma's church. We can't even be your church. We've got to be his church. We've got to move and flow in the time of things. Amen? And so David did that. Saul wanted him to dress up in the armor of how you fight a warfare. He wanted him to wear the armor that a normal fight would take place. David said, can't do it. It's not my thing. He said, God has prepared me for a different battle. 
And so instead of a battle with shield and sword, he brought a missile. He changed. He changed the, the way the battle is fought. And that's what the church has to do. You've got to change your approach to the battle against the devil and against society. We're not fighting flesh and blood. We're fighting principalities. And if we keep coming, trying to think that we're going to change it by, by uh, I don't know, votes and, and, and things on paper, that has an effect. But listen, if we don't get into the heavenlies, we're going to lose this battle. And so David comes down and Goliath says, come here. Why does Goliath want him to come here? To fight the traditional fight that Goliath knows that with one blow he could take this measly little kid out. But David doesn't approach him. David stands afar off. Why? He's got a different warfare in store for this guy. It's real simple. It's real small. It's a rock. He takes it in his sling. It's a projectile. And he releases it with ease right into the forehead of this giant and he falls. He changed the way of warfare. He changed the way it is. We have to change the way we're doing warfare. They say the definition of insanity is to continue doing the same thing, expecting different results. The church can't keep doing what it's been doing in the West. Our results are meager. We have got to go to a new level of warfare, a new way in which we project the truth. And let me tell you something about truth. Here's what we have to change. In the Western realm, we love philosophy, we love ideas. And so what's happened with the church is we've schooled everybody in theology. We've trained everybody in teaching. We've brought everybody to understand ideas and philosophies. And so our way of interacting with the lost is to, is to have a discussion with them. Nothing wrong with it. It's good. Uh, come let us reason, God says. We still need to know to reason. But we think the truth is an idea or a statement. I want you to begin to understand a whole different tactic of warfare. Truth became flesh and dwelt among us. Truth is Jesus the man, the person. So you don't represent an ideology, a philosophy, or even words on a page, you bring Jesus to the fight. That's what truth is. Truth bleeds and bled for all people. Truth intercedes day and night. Do you understand what I'm saying? Truth is a high priest. Truth is a shepherd. Truth is a warrior. Truth is God who has all power in heaven and on earth and below the earth. Truth is not simply a message or a concept. Truth is the reality of Jesus Christ. So the prophetic power of the Word of God is the testimony of Jesus Himself. So the key here concerning truth is releasing Jesus. <laughs> it's presenting Jesus. You might lose the intellectual side of your argument, but would you let them feel Jesus? Would you let them experience the love of Christ 
Would you let them understand that beyond their ability to reason and conceive, they've been confronted by the very presence of God Himself in Christ Jesus? That is truth. And that's changing the way we witness and changing the way we speak truth. It's as David brought a new form of weaponry to beat Goliath. This isn't a war of ideas. This is a concept of the reality of who Jesus is. There's no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. Jesus. So it's not the realm of your intellect. It's the presence of Christ. That's what saves us all. How many of you know that? Amen. The second thing is our witness. Now what happens with a witness? I Oh, there we go. I'm sorry. I pushed the wrong button. All right, witness. So Romans 13, 14 says this, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. He says also, Paul in Galatians uh, says, You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Jesus. So he says, Put on Christ, clothe yourself in Jesus. This is where the church should walk. Christianity is not American. Christianity is not European. Christianity is not of any culture of this land. Christianity is from the kingdom of heaven. It is the very nature of God Himself. When you are saved, you are clothed in Jesus Christ. You have to represent. That's been our problem. We've misrepresented. We've represented ourselves as Americans who go to church. Or we've represented ourselves as whatever your cultural background is, as a person who came to Jesus. What you have to represent is Jesus himself. We carry Christ. We're to be clothed in Christ. And so we need to learn Jesus Christ. The truth is now in us. We have become truth. That's a heavy weight, isn't it? You're the truth of God. Just as Christ put on flesh, you put Christ on. Now you're Jesus in the flesh. That's why the Word of God says you are the body of Christ. You're the body of Christ. And so our witness is essential. At all times, in all ways, we are to represent Jesus. More than your anger more than your opinions, more than your upbringing and your cultural background. That's why the very next verse is in Galatians, therefore there is no male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave or free. Whatever your cultural standing, gender standing, financial standing, whatever it is, whether you're slave or free, whatever, where you are, in whatever context of society, you put on Christ. That's what changed the world. That's what eradicated slavery. It wasn't just putting on the pages, slavery is bad, stop it, because you can't stop it like that. You literally had to transform the slave owner and the slave to become equal in Christ. That's what changed everything. That's what's changing culture. That's what's changing the world, is Christianity as a witness of Jesus Christ. What the common complaint is against Christianity is everybody thinks Jesus is cool, but Christians are jerks. That's true, because Christians do not live as Jesus lives. 
You don't put Jesus in a back pocket. He's not a, a good luck charm. He's not something you wear around your neck. He is reality. And you have put him on as a believer. And so I'm telling you, we're a discipling church. I am saying, if you will come here on Sundays and Wednesdays, I want to train you on how to be Jesus. It's that simple. That's why you're here. You're being trained to walk as Jesus. You're being trained to live as Jesus, to think as Jesus, to move as Jesus. That's what Rabbi Jesus' purpose was in training his 12, so that they would then multiply and train others to walk, live, act, and talk, and do what Jesus did. That's why he put his spirit and nature in you. It's really simple. These are the essentials. We've lost them. So number one, you've become the truth. Number two, you've become his witness. You've become Jesus on the earth for people to see. We have to be the salt, the light. We have to draw people. We have to engage people. And what's happening is this. Our witness has failed. Our marriages are failing. There's sexual infidelity. Uh, we're not faithful sexually. We're, uh, and we're not nurturing our children. Uh, there was a book written, very interesting, in 2013, How the West Really Lost God. A new theory of secularization. Mary Eberstad, a senior fellow of ethics and public policy in Washington, D.C., wrote this book, How the West Lost God. Her conclusion is this. It's not secularism that came in. It's not ideas or philosophies. It's that we've lost the identity of family. We've lost the structure of family. The enemy knew what he was doing through the sexual revolution uh, no longer keeping sexual fidelity for marriage. Now it's open and free. And then the male is taken out of the home. And then the families are being destroyed. And they're breaking apart. Christianity, family, is nature. God ordained the family and nature in nature to be the strongest unit. That's why as a church, our focus over these next number of years is going to be building families, bringing families in, helping people be families. There's all sorts of definitions of family. We, in fact, are a family. We need to learn to move and draw the family in because in this culture, the family is disintegrating quickly. And how many of you know that life is unsustainable without family units? And so we've got to restore hope for people and we've got to rebuild society and build our faith. And family and faith are what fuse together. And so that's our witness. You see, folks, we're not only losing our neighbors and our society, we are now losing our children and families. Christianity is no longer maintaining its children. They're leaving. And so we have to speak truth and be a witness as to what true Christianity is. And so that's what's going to save our families. And it's what's going to keep our young people here. They want to see a rich representation of Christian, Christian faith. And so we have to pass it on to our youth we have to build them in, bring them in. I do not want to be a church that ends with one generation. How about you? And I believe the next generation, they call them millennials. I'll tell you why. Because they're the ones who are going to bring in the millennium, in my opinion. The millennial of Jesus. 
So I think God gave them a prophetic name. They're the millennials because I believe they're the ones who are going to last till Jesus comes to set up his kingdom. And we better do our job to hand this to them so that they're strong through the season. Amen. Last of all, there's power. The power of the resurrection. The power of the resurrection is supernatural. Now, the power of resurrection is amazing because you hold it, you have it. And here's the reason why Christianity will always continue. It will never be wiped out. Because the power of the resurrection overcame death and overcame the grave. When Jesus identified Peter as the rock and his confession as the foundation of building the kingdom on his confession, thou art the Christ, he then said this, the gates of hell shall not, what? Prevail, overcome the kingdom. Or, In fact, it's the first time that of the usage of the word church that Jesus uses, the ecclesia, the called out ones. The gates of hell will not overcome the church. It won't prevail against the church. Now, we like that verse because we say the gates of hell are demons and, and, and uh, demonics and Satan and he can't beat us. You have to understand something. He was already beat at the cross. That, we got to get that straight. Jesus defeated the devil at the cross. The power of the resurrection defeats death and sin. The first enemy that was defeated was done on the cross. That's the devil and all of his powers. Do you understand this? Follow me, please. For all the laws were against us were nailed to the cross. Therefore, it disarmed all principalities and powers. In other words, when God nailed the law to the cross, that's Jesus himself the very law and upholding of God, he disarmed Satan because he can no longer accuse us of anything because we've been sanctified, justified, and cleansed by the blood. You with me? So Satan was defeated while Jesus was alive on the cross. So what did the power of resurrection defeat? Death in the grave. The old word for death is Hades. And that's what Jesus is saying. The gates of Hades shall not prevail against the church. What that means is death will not overcome the church. Death is not going to stop the church. We have overcome death. When we die, we just translate into another realm. And the church will never die. And the grave, though it puts the end to all philosophies of men, the grave puts a a death to the greatest of warriors and fighters. The grave will never, death will never overcome Christianity and the church. We have power over the grave. And what sends people to their death is sin. But we have overcome sin through blood of Jesus Christ. So our witness walks through the power over sin. And the power of the resurrection will continue the church. So with that power, you have the Holy Spirit within you. And so having the power of Christ in us makes us effective witnesses, powerful witnesses, and that even when I come to die, I just hand the baton. By then, I should have already handed on the baton to how many people, right? I hope you are handing batons out. I hope you are passing your faith out. See, with this concept that death isn't going to stop the church, what are we afraid of? Why are we such wimpy people? 
You have the truth that is eternal. You have a witness that is Christ himself in you, the hope of glory, the expectation of his presence. And you have the power over the grave, sin, and the devil. These are the three essentials of the church. The church will not be defeated. The church will not be stopped. So church, rise up in your identity and take your position, please. I conclude with this. Revelation 12, 11. They overcame who? The devil. They overcame Satan by three things. The blood of the Lamb. The blood of the Lamb established God's Word as true and eternal. Secondly, the word of their testimony, their witness. Truth become alive in you. So the blood of the Lamb has secured us, cleansed us, defeated the enemy, and the word of your testimony is active and alive. And the last one is, they loved not their lives even unto death. We're not afraid of death. I ain't afraid of the death. Uh, because I know where I'm going. To live is Christ. To die is gain. I've only got one life to give. I'm going to do it well. I want to die well when I die. And so, listen. The church is going nowhere. So stop being afraid. Number two, stop quitting. Get in the fight. Number three, get over yourself and present Jesus. Let's stand.